Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, God's wrath, Moses intercedes, and the people pick a side. Exodus 32, the consequences of worshiping their idols. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. Before we get started, I want to let you know that I'm still working on the written lesson, and so I'll let you know whenever I get that finished if you want to purchase it. Also, if you've been listening to this in real time and have gone this entire time without the written lesson in front of you listening to this podcast, and you would like a free written study whenever all of this is finished, then email me and I'll notify you as soon as I have it finished and give you the code in order to get it for free. Okay, so today we're going to read first in Deuteronomy 9, verse 9, all the way to the end of the chapter this time. And we read a portion of that last week, and we're going to read the whole thing. It's basically a summary of what happened in this passage. And then we will go to Exodus 32, beginning in verse 7, and read the rest of this chapter. So this is Moses speaking. He says, When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of the 40 days and nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They've quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God, had made for yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside so quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first, forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also, and he was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at that same time. 
Then I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and burned it with fire, and crushed it, and ground it very small, until it was as fine as the dust. And I threw its dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. Also, at Taborah and Massa in Kibrahatava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given to you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you didn't believe him or obey his voice. You've been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Then I prostrated myself before the Lord. Forty days and forty nights I kept prostrating myself, because the Lord had said that he would destroy you. Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on the wickedness of their sin, lest the land from which you brought us should say, Because the Lord is not able to bring them out to the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he's brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people and your inheritance, whom you brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. Okay, so that was Moses' summary of what is happening here in Exodus 32. And we read the first six verses last week of chapter 32. We're not going to read those again. It was just talking about how Moses was on the mountain getting the laws from the Lord and the people were down below and didn't know what had happened to Moses. And so they asked Aaron to build them a God that they could see since Moses was gone and they didn't know when he was coming back. And Aaron did this. Aaron built them a golden calf and they worshiped this golden calf as though it was God himself. And if you missed that episode, you're going to want to go back and listen to it because we talked last time about the desire for a visible God and also standing up for what is right and being a good leader. And then lastly, if our worship has been perverted, if we are like those people who thought they were worshiping God by worshiping an idol. Have we brought things into the church or into our Christian walk that are from the world and not from God? Okay, so we read the entire summary in Deuteronomy 9, and now we're going to take it in smaller sections in chapter 32 of Exodus. So we're going to read now Exodus 32, 7 through 10. And it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They've made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make you into a great nation. So, after Moses has been on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, God tells him to hurry and get down, because the people have made this golden calf. But what's interesting is he says, your people. He tells Moses, your people have corrupted themselves. And the reason that he says it like this is because what they were doing was characteristic of human beings, not of God. And so he was referring to their sin nature. 
and he talks about how stubborn they are. He says they're stiff-necked people. You know, kids are famous for ignoring adults, right? A lot of times whenever you tell them to do something or you're just trying to talk to them, they'll just completely ignore you as if you're not talking. They'll just go about their business. But sometimes you'll get a child, maybe you've seen this before, where when you talk to them, instead of just going about their business, they literally turn their head away from you and keep it that way the whole time you're talking as if to just say, I'm not listening to you. I don't care what you say. I'm not going to do that. Well, that's what this is like, this stiff-necked people. It's like, I'm turning away. I'm not listening to you. And God's saying that is in their nature. This is what the people are like. So he wants to completely wipe them out. He says in the Deuteronomy passage, blot them from memory, basically. Just forget about them and move on with Moses. And he says he'll make Moses and his family even greater and mightier than what this nation would be. And, you know, honestly, it almost seems like Moses might be excited about this, right? I mean, these people are so difficult. And we read in that Deuteronomy passage how he just keeps telling them, you know, you've been rebellious since I met you. You just keep doing these things over and over. And God was telling him they're going to. And so in a way, you would think that Moses would like to just start over with his own family, you know, with children that he can maybe mold a little bit, as opposed to these people that he inherited after they were already grown and had this horrible tendency. So let's read and see what his response was. This is Exodus 32, 11 to 14. And it says, Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to the people. So Moses did not think this was a great idea, right? Moses did not say, yeah, let's start over. Maybe it'll be easier this time. He said, God, don't do this, right? And then the next thing, notice what he says, your people. Moses says, these are not my people. I inherited these people. They are your people, your chosen people that you called me to and that you brought out of the land of Egypt, that you have vested all of this energy and time on, the people that you promised to take into the land that you told Abraham and Isaac and Jacob you would give to them. Now, God wouldn't be going back on his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob if he did start over with Moses because Moses is their descendant and Moses' descendants would also be. So God wouldn't be going back on his promise to them, but he has this vested interest in these people, right? These are the people that he said he was going to bring into the promised land. These are the people that he's already fought for. And so Moses says, 
You can't do this. You've already bested too much in these people. You've done all this work and now you're just going to say, never mind, forget it. These are your people, the ones that you chose that you were going to bring out. Don't bring them out of Egypt just to kill them here in the desert because then the Egyptians are going to say, well, I guess he couldn't fulfill his promise. He brought them out of Ireland, but he can't carry it all the way through. And so he's just going to kill them. And so one thing to take note of is, do you notice that Moses is not making excuses for the people? He is not saying that they didn't do anything wrong or that they had reason for it. It doesn't seem as though he's pleading for the people on their behalf so much as he's pleading for the people on God's own behalf, right? Because he keeps saying, these are your people, the people that you chose, the people that you have worked for, the people that you made the promises to. And then he's talking about God's reputation, right? He doesn't want the Egyptians to be able to say anything remotely negative about the Lord. And so it's all about God. It's not about the people. He's not pleading for them because he feels sorry for them in some way and thinks they haven't done anything wrong. He knows they have. He knows that God is right, that they are rebellious. But he pleads for them because of God. And so it makes you wonder, why did God say this? What was this about? You know, if he was just going to relent anyway, then what was this about? Well, one thing he may have just been venting to Moses. It also may have been a test to Moses to see if Moses would recall his promises back to him. If Moses cared about God enough to want his promises upheld, want his work to not be in vain. And then also to see how much he cared for God's people, right? How far he was willing to go knowing that these people were stubborn knowing that they would probably rebel again, seeing how quickly and easily they had done it before, would he care about God's people enough to continue to lead them? Because it's going to be hard, right? And so God is having this conversation with Moses because Moses is the one that's going to be dealing with these people. And Moses says, no, I want to. I don't want to wipe them off the face of the earth. You've done too much work for them. I want to stick with it. And I want your name to stand without anyone being able to throw any type of accusation on you. And so that is a wonderful picture of the relationship that he and Moses had, that Moses showed how much he cared for the Lord and for the words that the Lord had already told to him. Okay, so let's see what happens after God withhold his total wrath on the people. How does Moses react whenever he goes down the mountain? This is verse 15 through verse 20. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. And the tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and on the other, they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's noise of war in the camp. But Moses says, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but it is the sound of singing that I hear. And so it was, as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger became hot, 
And he cast the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it in powder and scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Okay, so that last part is weird and we'll talk about it in a minute. But after he pleads with the Lord for mercy, then he doesn't restrain his wrath against the people, right? He is angry. He says in Deuteronomy 9, you turned against him so quickly. Moses is mad about this. I can't believe that 40 days ago you agreed to obey him and you've already broken some of the commandments. And so he comes down and throws the Ten Commandments down on the ground and breaks them. It says in Exodus at the foot of the mountain, but in Deuteronomy it says he broke them in front of the people, before the people. And so it gives this picture of what they have done, right? Because the Old Testament is generally a picture of the New Testament of concepts and things that we need to understand. And so he is visibly breaking these commandments in front of their face to show them that they have broken their covenant with God. By breaking those first three commandments, the commandment to put no other gods before him, to make no carved images, and to not take the name of the Lord their God in vain, they have broken their covenant. Even though they only broke three laws, Moses is breaking all of the commandments in front of their faces because he wants them to see if you break one law, you break all of the laws. You are a lawbreaker. Doesn't matter how many you break. Even though in a way when we say it like this, it sounds like maybe that's a concept we're not familiar with. We are familiar with this because think of this as a contract. That's what this is. And If you sign at the bottom of a contract and there are 10 things that you are signing that you will hold up your end of that bargain, those 10 things, and then you say, if I do not hold up my end of the bargain, X, Y, Z is going to happen. Well, you know that you have to hold up all 10 parts of that. If you break even one, then you've broken your contract. And so whatever the consequences of breaking your contract are, that will happen. And we don't go to the people and say, oh, well, I mean, I did most of the stuff that was in the contract. No, we know that we have to follow that contract completely. Otherwise, we've broken it and we suffer the consequences of breaking that contract. And so that's what Moses was trying to explain to the people. You've broken this contract. And so it doesn't matter that the other seven you still haven't done. You didn't keep the whole promise that you made. And so now it's basically like this entire document is null and void, right? It's useless. Might as well just throw it away because you've not held up your end of the bargain. And several places in the New Testament, they talk about this. And I want to read you three separate verses. The first is found in James. 2, 8 through 13. And it says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, 
you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So he's explaining this same thing that we were just talking about right here. If you break one of the law, you're guilty of breaking them all because the same person gave you both of those. And anyone that lives under the law will be condemned by the law. But if you live and are judged by the law of liberty, the law that is given by Jesus, then you can find mercy. There's no mercy in following the letter of the law. Now, here's the next one. Acts 13, 38, and 39. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So that's kind of what we just said. The law of Moses cannot justify you. It only condemns you. But through Jesus... We have forgiveness of our sins. And if we believe in that, then we're justified. That's what's required of us because the law only condemns. And then here's the last one, Romans 3, 19 to 26. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So it says at the very first of that passage, the people that are under the law are guilty. Every single one, because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. And so we have to live by the law of Jesus. Now, after he gives this visible show of them breaking their covenant with God, then he burns the calf up, grinds it into powder, and then scatters it into their water supply and makes them drink their God of gold. How strange is that, right? We're like, what in the world is that about? Well, we talk all the time about taking in, getting to the heart, internalizing God's word, because what we see on the outside is what we take in. And so I think that in essence, Moses is trying to show them, yeah, sure, internalize that God, take him in, see what kind of good he does, right? See what he produces, You know, when we internalize our God, then he produces the fruits of his spirit, right? That's what the Bible tells us. But if they internalize that God, then what is he going to produce other than a sick stomach and a bunch of waste, right? That's all. And so Moses is trying to show them your God is no good to you. He's going to produce nothing of benefit. 
I think that's why he was getting them to drink it. Drink it, take it in, see how much good it does you. Your God's worthless. Okay, and so after he's taking care of the people, he turns to Aaron, okay? And he says this. This is in verse 21 through 24. Then Moses says to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin on them? And Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And so I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and then this calf came out. Sounds pretty innocent, right? It's like, well, the people pressured me, and I thought, okay, I'll appease them. I'll just, you know, take their jewelry, and maybe that'll make them happy, pretend I'm going to make something. And then all of a sudden... This calf just comes out, and so then I'm like, oh, okay, I guess, you know, this is the way it was supposed to be. That's such an absurd story, and obviously Moses knows that it's wrong. And it says that God was so angry with Aaron, he wanted to kill him. And Moses had to plead on his behalf. He knew it wasn't just by happenstance that this calf came out. He fashioned it. It says in verse 4, He received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molding calf. So he shaped it in this form. That was all on him. But also he blames the people. And that's really not a good excuse to Moses, right? Because on the one hand, yeah, Moses does know how the people are. So he thinks, okay, I can explain it like this. But Moses doesn't lead the people into sin, even knowing what they're like. Moses is strong, he's capable, and he leads the people well. And so that's not going to be a good excuse to Moses, right? He knows their inclinations and he leads them well in spite of those things. And he expected Aaron to do the same. And Aaron had definitely just fallen short of that goal. Now, again, Moses has such a great desire to uphold God's word because while he was on the mountain the first time, in some of those chapters that we skipped, God named Aaron as the high priest. And so Moses again is saying, you already declared him the high priest. Let's keep going with him. Okay, so let's continue to read in verse 25 to 29 and see what else Moses does with the people. It says, Now when Moses saw the people were unrestrained, because Aaron had not restrained them, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day. For every man has opposed his son and his brother. So now that they have had the punishment of drinking in their God, Moses tells them, you need to pick a side. You cannot stay in this place of rebellion. You need to choose 
Whose side are you on? Who is for God? And surprisingly, only the Levites publicly professed to be on God's side. And then by aligning themselves with him, they positioned themselves against their fellow Israelites, right? They knew that by saying they were on God's side, that they would be against some of their family and their neighbors. And they did it anyway. And then God asked a huge price of them. He asked them to kill either, you know, the leaders of this golden calf thing or maybe those that continue to rebel against the Lord even after Moses had come down. Whoever it was, it was about 3,000 men that God had chosen and said, these people are never going to change. They're going to hurt all the rest of you and they need to go. And so the Levites were willing to pay that high a price just to serve the Lord. And then listen to what it says in verse 29. Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day for every man has opposed his son and his brother. So it says, now that you've done this for me, that I've seen that you are willing to go that far for me, then I will bless you. And eventually we learn that God blesses them by establishing the Levites for his service from that. And so the question that we need to have is, are we willing to say publicly that we're on God's side? They had to make a public profession that they are on God's side. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to do that if that means that we have to oppose our family or our friends? What if siding with God means going against the people that we love? You know, what price are we willing to pay to serve him? That's something we need to think about. We may have to go up against our family members, our friends, our neighbors, or our boss, or even the government in order to serve God. But just know that God is asking you to pay that price and you're willing to pay it. Then he has the ability to bless you just like he did with the Israelites. He can bless our courage and our allegiance and our service to him. Once you listen to two verses in the book of Mark. The first one is found in Mark 8, 34 to 37. And it says, When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come to me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. So Jesus tells the people, If you want to follow me, then you're going to have to deny yourself, even if it means dying. You have to be willing before you take that stand to do whatever you're asked. Take it as far as you have to go in order to follow him. Because he says, you may lose your life. I'm not going to tell you you're not. But you will gain it back eternally if you're willing to give it up for me. But if you're just trying to save your life, don't think that you're going to really have anything. 
you know, it's hard for us sometimes to look at the eternal invisible things. We've talked about that before, but that's why he says, you know, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? We have to remember that this present life is not all there is. And the invisible is more real and definitely longer lasting than this temporary earth right now. And so we cannot be so worried about gaining the world that we lose our whole soul because then we have nothing. And then let me read you the last verse in Mark chapter 10 verses 29 and 30. It says, So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive the hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Okay, so he's saying you're going to have to be willing to leave your house, your family, your friends, your property for me. You know, and it may be persecution here for you on this earth, but in the age to come, it will be eternal life. And that's our goal. Okay, last set of verses. This is verse 30 to 35. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You've committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a golden calf. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now, therefore, go, lead the people to the place that I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment on them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf that Aaron made. And so after all of the punishment with the people, Moses goes back on the mountain and stays another 40 days and 40 nights and pleads with the Lord forgiveness for the people. This time it is about the people, right? He's like, please forgive them. I know what they've done, but please forgive them. And Moses even volunteered to pay the price for their sin. He says, blot my name out of your book if you won't forgive them. But the thing is, is that Moses is not qualified, right? Moses is not qualified to atone for the other people's sins. He was only called to be their leader, not their savior, right? That's what God says. No, whoever sins I will blot out, you lead. That's what I've called you for. And that just has to remind us that we are not in charge of other people. We can lead them. We can tell them what's right. But ultimately, it is their choice and they have to pay the consequences for their sin. We can lead them. We can show them. We can tell them. And God asks us to do that. Just as he asked Moses to lead the people, we are supposed to help others and show them the correct way. But if they do not choose to follow it, that is not on us. That is their responsibility and they must pay the consequences for that. Now, the other lesson that we need to learn from this is that Moses was not qualified to pay for the people's sins. 
Only Jesus can pay the price for our sins because he's the only one that's worthy. The reason that he's able to die for our sin is because he doesn't have any sin of his own to die for. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The one that knew no sin became our sin because he was able to give us his righteousness. If he had had sin in his life, then we would not be able to take his righteousness when he took our sin upon himself. Jesus is the only one that is qualified to pay the price for our sins. He's the only one that saves. Okay, so we're going to stop there for today. Next week, we will do Exodus 33 and see what happens after all of this. The focus next week will be praying according to his word. So make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. And leave me a five-star review. Also, leave me comments or you can email me at Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Thanks and have a good day.